Saturday. What day is it today? Wednesday. Exactly. Welcome to Film Fight Club. I'm Glenn Falcon from the Falcon Screen, and we are joined by freelance writer and critic Virat Nehru. Hello, hello, guys. Hang loose. And Sydney filmmaker Chris Evans. Yo, what up? So later in the program, we're going to be talking with Felix Hubble and Connor Bateman, the co-founders of Static Vision, about Static Vision's second festival and first fully online festival, Hyperlinks URL, which is happening over the weekend. We want to talk before we get to chatting to Felix and Connor about an ongoing controversy that surrounds the City Film Festival and an awardee at the festival, the film Mukbang by Eliza Scanlon. Eliza Scanlon won Best Director for her short, it was the Dendi Short Film Awards. And following its inclusion in the festival and the award giving, there was some contention online that many who viewed the film or maybe haven't viewed the film, something we're going to get into, have criticized it for both what they claim to be cultural appropriation and for an image which was subsequently deleted from the film at the request of the filmmakers, which reportedly included a person who appeared white to be strangling a black teenage boy. A sketch, it should be noted. Context matters here, as we'll get to in our discussion. We covered this over the past few weeks, and to wrap on our view, we haven't seen the film, which is important. We have tried to see it, and we have sought from the non-SFF publicist opportunity to see it, but we have not been able to watch the film. Our view, however, on the matter of the editing of the image, which Scanlon has acknowledged was hasty, is that it shouldn't have been done in certain circumstances in which it was handled, and we'll get into that in a little bit more. This morning in the Sydney Morning Herald, there was an opinion piece by 27 prominent creative Australian personalities in defense of the film and in defense of the festival. Among the authors was Mira Fox, Ivan Sen, Joel Edgerton, Warwick Thornton, a number of others. The piece is in the current Herald and available online for you to look up. The piece criticizes the, the detractors of the festival and of the film. Uh, the fil- piece also claims that the film uh, is not problematic. Now, there's a number of things following on from this piece and this controversy, which clearly is ongoing, that we want to address. First of all, and we said it earlier, we haven't seen this. We think it would be a more open and honest way to cover it if we had seen it. Certainly the people in this, as part of this discussion and the 2070 put their names to it have said, we have seen this film and we think others should see it before they judge the film. We agree. It's why we're holding off criticism or commentary as to whether the film is in fact racist. However, we think it is incumbent upon the gatekeepers of the film, in this case, the filmmakers and the publicist, to allow persons an opportunity to see it who have fairly and with integrity and open and honestly been covering the festival and films for years. And further to that, there's many other aspects of this debate which is raised by the op-ed. The definitions of minority groups is a major aspect. And further, there's a few points we want to raise, but one is the matter that the op-ed refers to the City Film Festival's track record of inclusivity, i.e. that this year and in previous years and historically, the festivals promoted diverse filmmakers and diverse filmmaking. We agree, and we think that is relevant to any discussion, and we don't think any controversy, including this one, should take place in a vacuum. What I found probably most disconcerting is that the op-ed didn't address the actual issue that we had, which is the fact that this film was edited. Mm. This is the major criticism that we have, is the fact that the film was edited and there has not been clear communication regarding the nature of the edits and the fact that the audiences haven't got the opportunity to view the film in their 
in this original form to judge it for themselves. So I think this op-ed sidestepped that actual issue, which is a major issue that we should be contending with. And yes, the whole debate about inclusivity and the history of what is a minority group and how that's changed in the composition of minority groups in Australia, that's relevant as a sort of background. But I think it sidesteps the actual issue. The thing about the editing is we're not actually sure about the timeline. I saw people on Facebook expressing shock that the shot was edited. We know that Sydney Film Festival put out a release saying that they'd edited the film, but we're not sure if that actually happened before or after people noticed that it was being edited. Because it's possible these people just missed the note that it was edited, but what I saw on social media was people acting as though Sydney Film Festival edited it and were trying to avoid whatever offending content was in the film being noticed. Like uh, the, the impression people gave was that they thought City Film Festival was surreptitiously editing this. It's possible that this notice didn't even come out until after these accusations were made. We're not sure. But moving on to the, what Farad was saying about this sidestepping the issue, the open letter addressed the racism complaints with regard to the film's representation of Korean culture, which is where the initial source of controversy came from. But the actual edit was of the image of the main character sketching a boy that she was annoyed at. Uh, We were actually informed by our guest we'll have later in the program, Felix, who did get to see the film, a bit more about the context of this. He, on the back of a bus, is discussing watching porn involving choking women, and then the main character draws a sketch of this character being choked. He happens to be Black. Um, It was the editing out of, of the shot of the Black boy being strangled by a girl that elicited the controversy, and this wasn't touched on nor the issue of editing it in the open letter at all. And I think if the aim was to be completely transparent, they should at least have touched on that, given that that seems to be what made this go from a minor social media controversy to a full-on explosion that the likes of Andrew Bolt were commenting on. Yeah, Um, on that, and we reiterate the point of view that people, if they're going to cover this film, should say they've seen it. On the matter of the editing, there was, uh, to qualify some of our earlier coverage, a note that went out in an email from Sydney Film Festival on the final Sunday morning of the festival saying that the film be edited, but no as we have advocated discussion real detail, which would further enhance a debate or discussion about this issue. They, as before, they could have left it in or and released a new version while keeping the original intact and released explanatory memoranda or discussion. Certainly the facilities to do this online. The op-ed, while not going into the reasons we don't think the film is racist, just simply says, the film is not racist, which is which is less detail than they should be giving in response to very detailed criticisms. But the op-ed does not address the other controversy, which regards not just the image, but the image being edited. And it bothers me, moreover, that we have no idea, based on this op-ed or any other reporting, what version of the film they've seen. That's a problem. Have they seen the pre-edited version? Have they seen the new version? And finally, on the matter of how this could be offensive to the Korean community, the op-ed notes accurately that people should be seeking out voices from members of the Korean community who have views on this and their perspective, certainly. However, that does not mean that, I think as the op-ed implies, that other views on this can and should not be persuasive. And moreover, people can voice their concerns and ideas as people in this op-ed certainly have by stating very clearly that they do not believe that the film is racist. But it's a catch-22, right, guys? I mean, honestly, let's say the Korean community or any other community who wants to see the film now basically cannot see the film. We've tried to watch the film and we haven't been able to, and we've basically been trying to seek it out. 
yes, so Opet says anyone who wants to make up their mind should go and watch the film. But uh, the opportunity to see the film is now not prominent than it probably would have been without this controversy. And there would be other members from the publicist team and even the producers of the film who may not now, because of this controversy, may not want the film to be seen by other members of the public. The film's probably going to be buried now. Yeah, I think so too. I don't see it being submitted to any other festival, sadly. I would so, like to have seen it. So even then, I don't know how people who want to seek it out may watch it now. Well, they can't. It's just going to be a matter of, the film wasn't racist, end of. And you that's going to, to be the official line. You essentially. <laughs> yeah, I, but the, as Glenn was saying before, the main purpose of the op-ed seems to be, rather than talking about directly the issues in this controversy, mostly here's a bunch of reasons why we don't like the current social justice discussion about racism and the tone it often comes through from the left. And here's all these reasons why Sydney Film Festival is good and not racist and you shouldn't criticize us. The op-ed diverges and goes into some detail about what the authors believe should be the definition of a cowed person as a person of cultural and diverse backgrounds at odds with how they have characterized the tractors of the festival and of mukbang and the views and what they determine as the narrow views of how they define a minority person. They cite specifically persons of um, Greek, Italian, Jewish background, and what they term non-Anglo whites. I have a problem with that particular term, but for the purposes of this discussion, I acknowledge that they're trying to put forward an inclusive definition of members of minority communities. Um, this hit home. This bet hit home uh, for me, you know, personally, in a couple of ways. I'm a member of one of the communities that was particularly referenced. Um, as also like Nash and Moodley, the festival director. Um, as is explicitly referenced in the op-ed, uh, my formative years were spent under South African apartheid, though my experiences were never as severe or extreme as certainly national experience. And um, to that, there's a particularly terrible story that is revealed in this op-ed about his history, which is just horrifically awful. My heart goes out to his family. It's truly awful. And this, this these sort of things, they happened. Personally, I agree with the perspective and the definitions that the people are putting forward, but I don't see how it's necessarily entirely relevant to this particular debate. It seems to be taking a shot at detractors of the festival. And if they're willing to point out how some of the detractors have put forward these sorts of erroneous definitions, then it's fine. But um, certainly the criticism that I've seen of this online and other for and forums, I haven't seen those sorts of definitions put forward. The nature of the criticisms have been pretty much squarely at the use of the image and claims of cultural appropriation. So while I don't disagree with the sentiment, I'm not sure why um, there's this whole tract is included in this essay. Look, I think this is part of the problem, right? I mean, uh, this becomes for majority, at least half of the op-ed is focusing around this tangent, which is essentially becomes this cannibalizing of the left around what, what is and isn't a minority group, which I feel just uh, beats around the bush for the main issue and the main issue never gets addressed. When I was reading through it, part of me was just confused as to why we're having this discussion with regards to this controversy. Maybe it's a way to take pot shots at the detractors, but that felt a bit mean and like almost like a personal attack, which wasn't relevant to the actual point at hand. Yeah, For me, I don't disagree with the sentiment, but I feel if you're going to criticize the people, these individuals who are criticizing Mukbang at the festival, the way to do that is to outline, as the op-ed simply does not do, why the film is not racist. If that's your view, that's fine. Tell us why. The, the, the op-ed simply says, we disagree, and these are the people who should be making up their minds on it. Um, we, don't, we 
should have more detail. And these are very succinct, very articulate people who are very highly, very highly qualified and very active in the creative industry. There's no reason they couldn't have gone into some more detail in this or other forums. Well, I think it just comes down to that the main goal of this piece was defending the festival. And it was, we're bringing out a bunch of friends of the festival to write an open letter. We don't like Sydney Film Festival being labeled by some Twitter trolls as a white supremacist institution. We don't like someone high profile like Michelle Law dragging us. That, that was basically it. Yeah. But even then, like the fact that that accusation uh, got so much credence in the piece that somehow Sydney Film Festival is supporting white supremacy. I wasn't even taking that seriously until that letter addressed that as a major critique. Well, so, I, I think it has been a major part of the noise surrounding this issue. Really? Okay. Yeah, just, just that, general... That, even for me, that felt a bit far-fetched. For the most part, people haven't been using language that extreme, but the idea of Sydney Film Festival is part of the white overarching structure, which is perpetuating racism. I've seen bandied about a bit. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That, 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 that for me was like, even I kind of rolled my eyes a bit. I'm like, that's going a bit too far and that's clutching at straws a bit. <laughs> And I don't think you can make those sorts of claims without bringing in, as the op-ed says, the full history and progressive history and amazing work that City Film Festival has done to promote, as said before, so many amazing filmmakers and so many films from so many different diverse filmmakers and countries. You would simply not have films from any number of countries, including nations in Africa and Asia, um, as the op-ed fairly identifies in Australia or in New South Wales without the Sydney Film Festival. I wish we could fairly assess this film and see it, including it separate to that. This is more about basically trying to set the record straight that Sydney Film Festival is not a white supremacist uh, organization perpetuating that, rather than coming up with the defense of why the film was not racist. Because those are two very different answers that you might come up with, which is why I think that whole history and the background was included because the op-ed is trying to answer a very different question. It's trying to defend the festival from the accusation that it's somehow white supremacist, rather than actually addressing the controversy, which is whether or not the film was racist and whether or not editing it was the right thing to do. Yeah, if you, if you think someone's wrong, don't just say they're wrong, say why. And now stay tuned for all things Hyperlinks. We have the co-founders of Static Vision and the Hyperlinks Festival, Connor Bateman and Felix Hubble joining us. Guys, thanks so much for coming on the program. Hey, thanks for having us. Thanks. Now we're going to be like a reunion, actually. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah, because Ferrat used to be part of 4-3 with these guys. Back in the Halcyon days, the early years. Yeah. The four times? Yeah. Yeah. The other times? Yes. And also, we're going to get into this, but you're joining us. Well, we're all Zooming as per usual, mm. the, the new norm, but you're, we're in New South Wales, and where, where are you guys right now? Both of us are in Melbourne. Um, mm. Felix is in Northcote. I'm in Fitzroy. Um, yeah. So the, yeah, the postcodes are shutting down around us. We're around us, engulfed yeah. by the shutdown, but uh, <laughs> we're free tonight. Good night. Thanks, so we're going to be talking about Static Vision and the hyperlinks in the program. Before we do, just a quick update on things that are happening around town. The Melbourne Documentary Film Festival is now screening online through to July 15th. Moving Car is continuing at Moore Park through to July 19th. That's Sydney's Driving Theatre. The Sydney South African Film Festival is screening online on demand until July 12th. The Environmental Film Festival has a couple of events tonight and tomorrow. The Taiwan Film Festival's third year is screening online from July 9th. Revelation Film Festival has gone online with Couch. They're screening nationally for the first time on July 9th through 19th. The Jewish International Film Festival is a streaming event on the 9th, as well as this weekend, the Sunday, 
with Tilda Melbourne's Transgender Diverse Film Festival and continuing in their weekly programming, Monster Fest are continuing their weekly Friday Fright Nights at night, starting at 9 p.m. on the 10th. And usually the, during the week, we give a shout out to what's going on with Static Vision because Static Vision are now going into, I think it's their 14th week of screening, but we're going to be discussing it in a little more detail this week because we actually have you guys on the program. Yeah, yeah. A lot going on. A lot Lots, going on there's everywhere. a lot. Yeah, I know. It's like <laughs> we, we picked um, the second weekend of July thinking that it would be uh, well-placed between Sydney and Melbourne film festivals because we know that um, MIF, I believe, are announcing their program this week. Maybe they've yeah. delayed that. But originally they were meant to yeah. announce their festival lineup this week, so we wanted to have our festival come after their lineup but before their festival. So enough time for people to get excited about films and festivals online and then, you know, yeah. segue straight into our festival. Um, and it seems a lot of other people had that idea. You should spend <laughs> your time with us yeah. and we will well, explain I mean, why. I mean, part of that, Glenn, as you said, is, um, yeah, it's been many weeks in the making. So this is actually... This is week 15, I think. We're culminating. Mm-hmm. Culminating sounds like we're finishing. I would love us to be winding down, but we keep having offers. <laughs> um, but Hyperlinks is like our big one. So it's an entire weekend festival starting at 6 p.m. on Friday the 10th of July and running all the way through to midnight on, I guess, Monday, the Sunday, Monday, midnight on the 12th of July. So for the past 14 weeks, we've been doing film screenings, often with collaborators from Pink Flamingo Cinema and Trash Night, and also having guests on like Paul Schrader, Guy Madden, artist Darren Sylvester, um, Cecilia Cecilia Condit. Yeah, it's been a really interesting run of chatting to filmmakers that we would never be able to get otherwise. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, we kind of took the shutdown and the move to online streaming as a challenge to ourselves to go, okay, well, we, can, we can't really fly Guy Madden to Sydney, but we certainly would love to chat to him. Can we get him and the Brothers Johnson? Or can we get Cecilia Condit? Or can we get Paul Schrader? Or even um, just like this whole festival is yeah. stacked with guests because everyone's at home. So yeah, I <laughs> mean, know, we, yeah. we've yeah, there's like doing all the interviews for the last fourteen weeks has got us. You know, we're pretty good at them now. But speak almost, for yourself. <laughs> well, almost every session at the festival has an interview immediately afterwards. So that's been the bulk of our work for the last two weeks. It's been scheduling those. We're doing, I've got one tomorrow night with Lawrence Leck, the um, German-born artist whose films are doing three of his films on the Sunday afternoon from 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. We're doing Sinofuturism, Geomancer and Idol and then an extended chat with Lawrence. So, you know, there's lots going on. There's lots to prep, but it's also, you know, one of the opportunities online streaming gives us is the ability to talk to people we never would be able to before have long ranging Q and A's. So you're calling this sort of the culmination of the efforts you've been doing over the last 15 weeks. Did you have any sense that it would build to this level when you started? Oh, absolutely not. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, we were a one-off lockdown yeah. in, in March, our first live yeah. stream. Felix yeah. like messaged me like what a week, a little over a week yeah, before yeah. we actually did it. It was like, we should do a live stream. And I was like, Oh, everyone's doing live streams. We should only do it if it hits these criteria and if we can pull it off in this particular way. But we thought yeah. that was like a one and done. Like that yeah, was our yeah. like effort for the month. And now here we are. Yes. So when we kicked that off as well, we had a meeting with um, Kai from Trash Night because we were doing some screenings there and we were actually working on the second program for Trash Night to happen about two weeks after that stream. So, <laughs> of course, that's been completely delayed. But yeah, the program though, when, when Cinema's open up, we will put that program on. 
Yeah, absolutely. It'll be great. But um, that's kind of, yeah, how it sort of happened. And then once we started sending messages out, the whole ball just started rolling. How did it become just week after week after week? Was it just playing uh, it by ear? Or? Yeah, yeah. I just kept getting replies to it's, emails. Connor did too. Like, it was we were, playing it by ear definitely though. I mean, like yeah. we once we got a few under our belt, we felt, you know, like, okay, it's it's a manageable target to do one a week. There, yeah. there were certain points in this 14-week period in which I would have disagreed with that sentiment and we've had to very much wing things. Um, yeah. But some of them yeah. were good streams though. So, some of the, some of the winging streams, ones, yeah. some of the best program streams are the ones that we came up with in like, 24 hours yeah 24 hours please two hours <laughs> two hours in an email to someone we knew would uh, say yes but yeah i think a lot of it was just kind of seeing the enthusiasm from people watching it but also the enthusiasm from people where we were reaching out to um especially some of like the older legacy directors um say like paul schrader or Michael Rubbo, um, who's like a great Australian documentarian and stuff. Just sort of people who, um, I guess Paul Schrader's in kind of high demand again, but there are a lot of people who haven't really been contacted for interviews and to discuss their work for quite a while, even though they make really fantastic films and kind of demonstrating there's a bit of an audience there and connecting all that sort of stuff together. Um, I know I find it like very fulfilling to talk to mm. some of these directors as well. Um, even some of the small ones, like yeah, some really great chats. I'm kind of glad that there's now a document of that body of work and that sort of discussion that eventually when we get our stuff sorted, we'll end up on YouTube. We've got recordings accessible. of all them. Yeah, um, so there's once recordings of everything. Hump, once Hyperlinks yeah. is done, we will start sifting through all our interview recordings because the intention is to put them all up so that people yeah. can right. can see those and can experience those again. Yeah. Um, also, fiddling, fiddling with a new platform, I think... I spoke to you, Glenn, when we were kicking off this stuff about working with the new platform and how it can't replace cinemas. And I still absolutely think that none of this can replace cinemas or even just having friends over to watch stuff. But, um, you know, just last week, we tried a new thing out. We had people vote on the films based on curated programs with cryptic <laughs> clues and then just screen them. And that was a lot of fun. And it's sort of the thing that you can't really do in a cinema space. You kind of need the You the could. Freedom. It would just be pure chaos for them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You yeah. may as well embrace the unique features that streaming gives you. Exactly. Well, we found, yeah, the feature that has brought us back week after week, as Felix said, was the sense of community and people engaging. So we were running the first... Third, first 12 weeks of our stream on a platform called SciTube, sort of mm. an uh, you know, open source platform. And that has a chat function and that grew in ways that we didn't quite expect to its yeah. own, like have its own like almost meme culture. You'd have regulars drop in, you'd know people by their usernames. Uh, and so, and yeah, there were lots of emojis uh, and paid emojis. But I think that gave us access to an audience we never knew we had. Certainly one that was slightly different to our in-cinema audience when we were doing screenings for the last year and a half, almost two years now. Yeah, so with Hyperlinks, even though we've moved across to Vimeo Live, which is quite a shift, we are still maintaining that chat. So there Mm. will be a chat box, there will be a chat function because we found the thing that makes online streaming cinema feel like a festival is the chat box. Yeah, You can't just give someone a YouTube link and go off you go or an on-demand link because they may as well just go to iTunes with a curated program or watch SBS on-demand with the curated program yeah yeah i i totally agree and i i mean there's a couple of other bodies out like uh they're doing sort of the same thing i know monster's been doing it clashing with us every week but i do occasionally have a look at their comment stream and i think it's sort of really working for them as well and i think as well the other thing that's kind of the benefit of the platform 
is the very loose sort of relaxed style of conversation you get from people over Skype with that text box and stuff. You can kind of, you know, in a festival context, you're normally trying to compress a Q&A into like 15, 20 minutes and hitting a lot of, you know, not particularly in-depth questions as a lot of festival Q&As go. Whereas in the sort of Skype conversational thing, you can just run off on tangents and keep people around for an hour and a half if they want to stick around. As long as everyone's having a good time, of course. But yeah, it's been interesting in that respect. Yeah, talking about Q and A is the. I think you guys just touched upon that. I wanted to bring that up again. Mm. I mean, given the fact that now everyone's at home, not that I'm looking for a silver lining in this pandemic. I guess the one. You have silver linings. That's okay. The silver lining is the fact that probably people do have more time, and they can, and and the kind of access you guys have had. And the conversation would be also a bit more looser. It's not as structured as you guys yeah. mentioned. Yeah, it's, so, it's a very loose structure. Yeah. I think there's an interesting tweet I read today. It might have been Matt Solazites, which was about um, him just talking to a filmmaker friend who was kind of despairing that we're running out of new films. And so that's like there's going to hit a wall in this pandemic. But his read on it was everyone's going to have to become archivists. Everyone's going to actually mm. have to, like, as an imperative look back and I think one of the things that these Q&As has allowed us to do is do that like have a mandate to go cool who's a filmmaker that we don't see often enough or don't hear about often enough and let's get them on for a chat that couldn't be possible in any other context and so I think if anything live streams of any forms or online festivals of any form at a certain point they're going to have to turn backwards in a way that is fruitful and is you know interesting and interrogative. Definitely. And I, I even think sort of with some of when we were looking for certain titles to cover and stuff, getting getting Nathan Silver on, for instance, uh, to come and talk yeah. about his films in Australia. You know, a director who's had the odd film in Myth, but maybe doesn't really have. Basically has no profile in Australia, despite yeah, being yeah. a really cool a really, filmmaker. Really cool, yeah. interesting filmmaker with a pretty large, if niche, um, profile in mm. different regions overseas. Um yeah, I think that maybe the sort of online format, depending on how all this sort of stuff goes, means that there's going to be much more access to knowledge of that sort of stuff. And, you know, once everything de-restricts and everything goes back to normal again, uh, maybe there'll be a bit more of a sort of varied taste in the cultural consciousness. I think you know, it's also, you're going to see a lot more virtual Q&As. Even when cinemas open back up, we're going to see Skype interviews or live Skype calls because it's not just because of the, um, the sense of like online interviews are, are more interesting or are interesting during this time. It's also that people are going to be much more reluctant to travel internationally in the next mm-hmm. five years probably. Yeah. yeah. I, I guess as well, it's a bit been a bit of a trial by fire. Everyone's now had a bit of experience with the Skype Q and A stuff and festivals will be able to host them when previously they would have seemed like this huge insurmountable technological task, which yeah, hopefully means that a lot of sort of first time, second time independent filmmakers who kind of get that one hit can now, you know, talk about their film in the various countries it plays in when normally a festival wouldn't foot the plane ticket or something like mm-hmm. that let's hope so at least i think there's something special about the kind of q a's you've been doing because i've seen a lot of festival q a's in person they can be either limited in time or in their focus they want to talk about a specific film or specific retrospective but the filmmakers you've had on they go into a lot more detail about craft they're going to do what's happening now and i really like that the conversations seem so free-flowing but Oh, so expansive because they're willing to spend more than the 10 minutes that otherwise a lot. They're willing to go into a great deal of depth. And there's been some really good interviews um, that you guys have wrapped on. 
I think also crucially, you don't have dumbasses in the audience making comments disguised as questions. No comments allowed. <laughs> yeah. and, but also, you know, what we do do um, is, for instance, if one of us is doing the Q&A and the other one is not, we'll be monitoring the chat and basically synthesizing questions, like taking several comments and being like, okay, the chat clearly want to ask Paul Schrader about US imperialism. How do we ask him that in a way that, like, honors the chat but also is not, like, a bad question and is not, Okay, do you think? Yeah, it's just like, tell us about US imperialism. It's, uh, you know, here's, here's five different people's ideas. Formulate that into a meaty question that can be attacked and approached and whatever Which I else. guess festivals could do if they had, you know, like just people write questions on cards and put them in a yeah. box and send or, someone or text or it into a, this number. I'll take um, that as a comment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're, I mean, you're right, Glenn, in that there's, there's the promotional aspect is gone. Yeah. You know, no one's coming on our stream to sell a film right or to lock in a deal or to get an audience to, I don't know, like the the convincing's done. If people are watching the live stream or they're not watching the live stream. And most of the time when we get um, filmmakers on and we screen films, it's because that's the film we can get the rights for. Yeah, And they're willing to talk about anything. I mean, Paul Schrader, you know, yes, we spoke about uh, his Nicolas Cage film. But the discussion like ranged from, you know, Mishima, Raging Bull, Taxi Driver, anything. Because, yeah. you know, you're in an environment in which it's open. People can open up a tab and Google whatever. I know we're jumping ahead a bit here, but Felix, you said at the beginning, it's great, but in the respects, it can't replace some cinema experiences. But you're going to go back to streaming in cinemas when we can. And with this experience, do you think that that format will evolve or change that you'll take things from the past several months and adapt that to the future of whether we're in weather power cinemas or whether we are in Marrickville or wherever we might be screening from. Um, I'd definitely be kind of keen to keep relaxed, extended Q and A's going wherever we can do them. I mean, there's still going to be some, annoying limitations uh like when we hire a screen at palace we've got to be out of there in two and a half hours or something like that so we can't really extend it out as long as we can um but we have we've definitely discussed potentially doing sort of one-off streams with specific filmmakers critics whatever as they sort of just pop up when the cinemas reopen so we might kind of incorporate some of what we've been doing. I mean, it's very up in the air for us. Like we've just been going, 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 going without much uh, discussion or forethought as to where <laughs> the, this ends the up. The discussion or, usually happens at the end of each stream uh, yeah. when there's only like 15 people left and uh, we are very yeah. tired and we decide to have an, we, we jokingly call it the shareholders meeting yeah. at the end of each live stream when who, whichever <laughs> stragglers are watching at like, you know, six and a half hours in, Congrats! You get the you get to look behind the curtain as Felix and I openly hash out what we're going to do next. Yeah, we just <laughs> argue with each other. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, at twelve thirty, and that was very freewheeling. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. twelve thirty a.m. to be clear. Yes. Yeah, yeah, completely. Um, but yeah, I, I'm sure that uh, once we're back in the cinema space, there'll be certain aspects of the way that we operate and host our events that are different and sort of influenced by this experience. But then again, I think the cinema space is going to look really different over the next few years. Like places are closing down and downsizing the cats out of the bag in releasing big films straight to streaming or simultaneously with cinema release windows. Um, I think festivals will run hybrid events. It's going to be a weird yeah, it's impossible to know how it's going to happen. I don't, I'm not sure that the cat is really out of the bag in terms of releasing big movies. I think mm. 
Trolls was sacrificed. Yeah. But outside <laughs> of that, foul. yeah, no one wants to release a movie that they think might actually make money to streaming. But yeah, yeah. Tenant is not going to come out on Amazon Prime first. No, no, no it's not. Um, no. But uh, uni- I, Universal will do what they can if they can, though. My, <laughs> they're the ones. My theory that, on. Yeah, I think so. So you go, Chris. Oh, I was just going to say my theory on the whole thing, uh, if you'll allow me to make a comment and not a question. <laughs> we've <laughs> Absolutely. Been, yeah, the last one time <laughs> 10 years of film discourse talking about Hollywood has been about mid-budget films disappearing and uh, everything being donated by the big-budget movies. But if people are afraid to go to cinemas and cinemas are uh, downsized in general, this could be the thing that reverses that, I think. That, like, mm-hmm. you can't afford to make tons of $250 million movies. Oh, I would be so for that. Honestly, if you oh, get, would be incredible. If I mean, you I, get rid of that, it's all mid-budgets. I, I think what I was going to say, that's somewhat to your point, um, it's more about cinema programming, which is I wonder if the the notion of like special curated small programs will come back as in like here's a reason to like here's a double or a triple feature but it's not like just a toss away like pairing it's like actually considered like you've got a Q&A you got two interesting films like you know cinema outings become these these events that i guess resemble some some of the things that we were doing um on live stream it would yeah, be really just, tailored to the cinephile yeah, exactly. I mean, really to go to the that said, we thought when we started doing these live streams that that was our audience because our in-person screenings in Sydney had been very cinephile-centric, mm-hmm. except mm-hmm. Hyperlinks in February was a different audience than we expected. But our online streams have not been cinephile-led streams. It's been just a lot of people who have nothing to do on a Friday night or who are loosely interested in the idea of some of these films and end up watching, you know, week after week. We've got a game developer based in Melbourne who's just watched every single one of our streams, right. all of them because yeah, I, of the sense of community, because of the sense of, you know, it's something different. Um, and I don't think in the films that we're selecting, we're necessarily trying to appeal to cinephiles. I mean, sometimes we are, but I think we're often just selecting as well. What's available that kind of appeals to us, to yeah. be honest. Yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been any sort of consideration of like, yeah, we've chosen guests for for a reason. It's because yeah. we wanted to speak to them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You'll enjoy, you enjoy hearing from them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But even the the non guest stuff as well. It's not uh, let's let's pick a cinephile thing. Or let's pick something for everybody. It will just be, oh, I haven't seen this for a while. That was pretty cool. Uh, that's that broadly fits this theme. Like, also, that's, yeah, that's the available. Like, let's do programming it. two themes um, has allowed us to. I guess Trojan horse in some stuff as well. So if yep. we're having like a, a horror themed night or a, you know, a night that we know caps off with a Bruce exploitation film and we know that people are going to stick around for that final film, I can put video art and short films in between each of the films, knowing that people will sit through them and see something they never would have seen before. And so we mm-hmm. kind of, once we realized what our audience was like, that was an approach we took, was making sure that we were screening short films, experimental films, in and amongst things that are a lot more accessible so that we were covering a broad sort of gamut of cinema. People like being surprised. People like something that's new. Totally. That even if some of it's not, even some of it's great, some of it's not great, we're seeing something different. And Absolutely. And honestly, I think that that's maybe... Well, if I was to say the one thing which I think is the best thing about this, it's definitely the extended Q&As because you just kind of don't get that sort of coverage outside of the podcast sphere and podcasts often run to a format and stuff like that and everything else, whereas just freewheeling on Skype as people shout questions at you over text uh, is, you know, kind of unique. But um, 
the other really good thing is that curating just a complete mixture of random stuff on a given night around the set concept, it's really interesting to talk to people and see how they engage with highbrow, lowbrow, midbrow, the whiplash of all that sort of stuff and then features shorts all together. I know like for me personally, I'm watching heaps of stuff that I probably wouldn't normally find the time in the day to get around to loving some of it, hating some of it, everything else. But it's sort of interesting to craft maybe like mini symposiums or whatever around the concept and let that out into the world and just run and see how, you know, this piece of video art flows together with this noir film flows together with this American indie made by irony lords how does that all melt together and flow so yeah there's a lot of room to experiment with the art of curation absolutely oh, yeah, sorry I mean, for the waffle there but yeah. it's, it's useful too because i mean on that point when we did hyperlinks in february part of the reason we put that festival together is because we felt the programming opportunities in australia were quite limited in terms of well, let's say relative to, to New York, for example, where you've got so many different cinemas, so many different programming strands, where they're able to stage at like BAM Cinematheque um, in Brooklyn, you know, a themed program that runs for a month on this topic. That doesn't really happen here, outside at least in, in Sydney at the Art Gallery of New South Wales is the one place that seems to do it. So we felt, okay, let's do what a space in New York would do for a month, condense it to one weekend and pick a theme. And so that's how hyperlinks kind of came together. Is that's that was the starting point. We want to force ourselves to program a weekend. We yeah. want to force ourselves to stick to a theme, stick to a topic, and that's the way we went about it. Um, and so yeah. doing these online streams and each each Sunday or each Saturday night, going, oh, what's the theme next? Like, what's the title? And like, cool. Now it's films about you know isolation, or now it's films about the notion of escape, or now it's films about this has been, you said trial by fire before, Felix, and it is yeah. in many ways. It was in terms of stress, booking, mm. interviews, but also in terms of having to program, having yeah, to well, fit things in, knowing well, that we've got a stream audience and we can't just throw them, mm. can't just go, cool, now you're going to watch a 40-minute landscape film in the middle of everything with no context. You know? Yeah, but there's also no rules for this thing. Like the, this didn't exist. Uh, we're doing it, Spectacle Theatre's doing it, a few other people are doing it, but... um there was no sort of rule book for the way that you're on online streams and kind of nutting that out as we went um, and seeing what worked and didn't work was again, a trial by fire and and keep it right. Yeah. It's interesting because I mean, thematically it's it's a good question because on one hand you're saying that it's a trial by fire and you guys are basically putting things together as they happen. And yet I'm sure people would still want to have some kind of structure because we are somehow Mm. used to that idea of structure in some sense. This is what I'm, preconditioned to go in and watching even though i'm going to be surprised but still surprised with the limitation yeah i think maybe the the by picking topics and kind of flowing with that we can give people a little bit um but yeah no definitely with the the structure being we've got a six hour thing and we're going to be showing a mixture of stuff around the specific theme has kind of given people a little bit of a taste of what they're going to get um as time's gone on as well we've started announcing more titles before we actually do the streams but um yeah it was definitely like a little bit of an experimentation period and I think once we kind of hit our groove of what we were doing and people got an idea of what they were going to expect, that's when our week-to-week audience really did build and solidify itself as a group. There. Suddenly, you're like some of the best people doing weekly streams, probably. Uh, and you can land. Yeah, that's nice to hear. Big-time guests. Yeah. yeah. I mean, of all the streams that are going on around the country, you are producing the most original. Consistent and the most original, yeah. And also the most dynamic because... 
I, I, I'm liking a lot of the other streams are going, but a lot of them are pure retrospective, some new stuff, but this is constantly regenerative, different stuff every week. Um, and hyperlinks. This is the second iteration. It's gone fully online. And I think that's reflected in the type of films and shorts and material that you have selected this time around. Yeah, we, we attended it earlier in the year. Uh, it was great. It was a good fun weekend over in Marrickville. And we get a little bit of taste of that online. And for the first time, people around the country are so. Yeah, I think um, when we staged it in, in Sydney, there was, you know, the, the goal we had, of course, in programming was we want as many Australian premieres or state premieres as we can. Like we want to have a festival that is essentially going, here's all the stuff that other festivals didn't program and should have. And so, you know, the fact that we were able to pull them together under a theme of broadly digital culture was was even better for us in terms of selling the festival and marketing it um, and having to program ourselves, like having to actually think about a grouping. But moving things online, of course, creates a new set of problems. One of the problems is geo-blocking and international streaming rights. So it has to be a different program. We can't do a one-for-one copy of what we did in Sydney, but also it's we didn't want to do a one-for-one copy. Having an online space allows us to do different things. It allows us to, instead of just screening Lawrence Lex Idol, we get to screen three of his films and do an extended Q&A. You know, instead of just screening um, Maria Molina Piero's short, The Sasha, we can grab her on Skype immediately afterwards. So one 20-minute short suddenly has a Q&A because in an online space, we're able to afford the time to talk to short filmmakers as well as feature filmmakers. And so, yeah, there are different considerations um, yeah, I would just say on that as well, there's like other films have gotten there, like TFW, No GF, which has had quite a bit of heated discussion online around Yeah, that's, it. A, that's a big get. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I think as well, the way that we're presenting it, I think we're the second people in the world to screen it. Um, we're going to have a one-hour Q&A with the director and two of the boys from the film after. I think it's kind of very fitting for that film to have sort of apply our extended Skype conversation structure to a post-film debrief where everyone can chuck their comments in and we can feed questions through and kind of talk through the film as well. Well, also um, that Q&A is being done with, um, on sort of our side of the Q&As uh, is Tian Baker, the Australian artist whose work often involves the internet and forum culture and YouTube culture. Tian mm-hmm. did a video for Prototype called Hard As You Can about men's rights forums and the film Fight Club. And so... You know, to be able to get an Australian artist to chair the Q&A with us is even, you know, that's something that you can't really <laughs> pull yeah. off easily and I think I, of this context. Totally. And I think as well, it's the sort of film that um, really benefits from discussion around it uh, much more so than other films that you kind of book into a festival. And it's like, oh, yeah, that was a nice watch or whatever. But this kind of poses broader cultural questions that... Uh, there's a lot of very um, impassioned opinions about. And I, I think having a like big kind of group conversation after it is really going to, you know, benefit everyone. And it's sort of a benefit of this platform and this medium. And it's not something we'd be able to do offline realistically. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I just think that, again, while the festival has new limitations like geo-blocking, we have to change up the program a bit. And we also want to keep it fresh for people who came to Sydney. There's also small benefits to the sort of thing. Another big one is our opening night. Um, we've been able to book our Girlfriend of the Year to come and do a set from the um, PC mu- music label. Uh, 
UK-based artist, absolutely no way we could have afforded flights, hotels, booking <laughs> fees, anything like that to bring her out for the yeah, opening tough. of the festival uh, offline. But online, absolutely. I would have put it in the airport, but that's it. Yeah, yeah, completely. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I, I think that while there's definite limitations to it, um, there's a lot of interesting benefits and it should be a pretty interesting little experiment. Um, another thing when we were talking about this as well, we really didn't want to do the sort of like video on demand approach to festivals where you buy tickets to films and then watch them on your own in your home. We really did want to work to a live schedule. So everyone's watching the same stuff at the same time, engaging in the same chat. You have to schedule it in if you're going to come to a session, much like a normal film festival. Also, Um, unlike some of the festivals that we've been looking at for the first half of the year, who've done online versions, we're not selling tickets. There's no seat cap on who can watch it or when they can watch it. It's free. It's live the entire time. We want it to be viewable anywhere in the world by anyone who wants to tune in because this is what online festivals, I think, should embody and embrace is that sense of, you know, the film community is so global now because we're being forced to be. So let's open up festivals to that as well. And the idea of, sorry to interrupt, I was just going to say, I think you're totally right that that's what online festivals should be. The idea of an online festival being locked is like, well, what's the point? Yeah, exactly. It's it, it denies the the limitations and benefits of the medium, you know? Yeah, yeah it's sort of antithetical to the medium. But yeah, it, sh- it should be a really interesting experiment. We will be donation funded. So if anyone wants to get yeah. some bucks our way <laughs> I was going to say, it is, it, is, it is free, <laughs> but we have paid for the film rights. So, yeah. Yeah. you know, it's a, it's a balancing act. Um, that's something that we always knew was going to be the case. When we talked about, we wanted to bring Hyperlinks to Melbourne in May. Didn't happen, of course, because of COVID. So we pivoted to online and we were always going to try and make it free because... You know, it's we want to make these films as accessible as possible. The live streams week to week have shown us that there is an audience there who is willing to engage with unusual cinema that's free, that's one click away. Yeah, um, but but also it just it kind of in some ways doesn't seem completely fair to charge offline ticket <laughs> for an online ticketing experience. And then when you're talking yep. about rates there, it's like, oh, do I drop it to five bucks or whatever or three bucks? And it's like, well, if I'm doing that, I might as well make it free, try and recoup some stuff on merch and donations. But we don't have venue costs. Um, we're paid off our hosting costs. So the margins are a bit better. Yep. And, you know, happy to take a loss if we have to do it. So, oh, of course. And yeah, a- yeah, always. But yeah. And it frees up people to give money to other causes. We actually haven't brought Completely. this up, but you've been fundraising for a number of important issues and outlets. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely when all of the Black Lives Matter stuff was really kicking off, it kind of felt uh, up until this point, we'd been taking donations for film rights and stuff like that. And we're in sort of a stable place where we knew we could kind of cover off a month and it just didn't really seem right to take any sort of donations for ourselves during that period. So we have been fundraising for a month for Indigenous legal services and bail funds across Australia, as well as I think it was at the end, 70 or 80 different bail funds in the US that were kind of through a coagulated fundraiser. But yeah, we just kind of operated business as usual, still had the guests that we could get. So uh, Paul Schrader, Amanda Kramer, all that sort of stuff, just ran them as fundraisers instead, um, which again... It, thanks thanks um, but yeah it's it's the online platform our, our hosting costs are zero at that point you know if we're chucking 100 usd towards film rights so be it it's not that much money and yeah it's a thing that yeah. we're able to to cover and we knew that the audience as felix was saying was very generous in terms of the the hmm. 
donations we were getting ourselves before we did this. So we were like, okay, if people have that money to burn each week, let's actually encourage them to donate it to local and international causes that we think in this period of time really need to be front and center. Yeah, completely. And again, given that we don't pay ourselves for this sorts of stuff anyway, the money would just be moving into a kitty to pay for film rights further down the line. And our kitty was looking pretty good. So the, the kitty um, is like somewhat paying for hyperlinks online. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, well, we will have exhausted it by now. Um, yeah. But yeah, with donations and that, but that's all right. <laughs> we'll be fine. <laughs> but you can set the program and events whenever you want to because you don't stick to an annual schedule like a lot of festivals, which is relatively antiquated because you can bring on material and events whenever you want to. You've evolved very well in that sense. I think that's probably what we looking to do after hyperlinks i'm not sure yet if we will continue that weekly schedule just because i probably i think both of us probably need a break (laughs) Um, but there are filmmakers that we're in touch with that are very exciting and we want to do events with but it's like it's likely that it'll be irregular or fortnightly or monthly screenings rather than the weekly schedule we have subjected ourselves to (laughs) yeah yeah Um, fair enough it, yeah, if we do keep doing weekly stuff as well, I think you'll see a lot more of us sharing the load with um, Pink Flamingo, Trash Night, other friends that do sort of streams as well. Um, I mean, when we kicked it off and the lockdown was looking like it wasn't going to be this long and we had a good first week and a good second week and we're kind of like, okay, let's just sort of extend this out till hyperlinks. We can do an online version of hyperlinks because we're obviously not going to be able to do a Melbourne one. We'll cover off the lockdown period. Um, hyperlinks was looking like a good exit point. Uh, of course the lockdown is kicking in again. Um, so who knows? We'll see what the future holds in terms of that. But, um, yeah, you'll get some streams, maybe not weekly though. How is the hyperlinks program going to be different this time around? Uh, so we've got, um, a number of different films and substitutions. So I think this is just a wild guess. I'd say maybe, 50 to 60 percent was in our sydney program um we also have a few extra slots in there and we've got uh instead of just screening idol we are doing the lawrence like retrospective which it's is three less films. than half oh it's less than half yeah, wow okay half. cool I'm, um, looking, I'm looking at it now it's less than half i mean there are films that um we're bringing back from sydney like daisuke miyazaki's tourism yeah uh, ben Asamoah's Sakawa, Tulipop's Andrew Rowan's Room of the Coconut View. Yeah. Uh, I think um, every LA single time, but yeah. most of the other stuff is new or expanded upon. I mean, the all-nighter certainly helps. Felix, do you want yeah. to explain that? Yeah, so we've got uh, four films running after midnight on the uh, Saturday night, really Sunday morning, but we've got Job's World and Zeros and Ones, which both played in Sydney. Uh, Zeros and Ones is going to have a live Q&A with Eugene Colliereco, our third live Q&A with him. <laughs> Second live, third Q&A. And then we've also got a VR action movie uh, with Billy Blanks of uh, Tybo infomercial fame from 1995. The director of that, uh, Zale Darlin, is going to join us for Q&A at 3.30 a.m. Or I think it'll actually be 5 a.m. our time and sometime in the US. And then we've also got uh, the Australian premiere of Mango Shake, which is a underground Canadian anti-coming-of-age film produced by the guy who programs Midnight Madness at TIFF and produces a lot of the Astron 6 adjacent content. So the producer and the director are going to be coming on for a Q&A after that. That's something we talked about doing in person during the first festival and 
logistically was just completely unfeasible. But in this context, is absolutely feasible. We're very interested to yeah. see what the viewer numbers are throughout the night because, of course, we we aren't just pitching this festival to an Australian audience. We're trying to see if we can get you know an international audience viewing them because we are fascinated to find out whether there yeah. will be unexpected spikes in times. Totally, mm. totally. Um, and that that uh, all night marathon happens right after we do uh, Fighting in the Age of Loneliness, uh, which is an incredible web series that I really think of as a feature length documentary film. I'm about, really keen for that one, actually. It's yeah. great. It's about MMA. It's about late capitalism ruining everything <laughs> you love. It's irony poisoned. It's it's about sports stats. It's uh, yeah, a real mixed bag of stuff. And then after that, um, John Boyas from SB Nation and uh, Felix Biederman from Chapo Trap House will be joining us for a and A, and that sort of leads into our all night marathon. So. Yeah, a bit of programming that in terms of time zones overlaps with New York's morning and then kind of goes through their day and LA catches up as we drift out. Obviously, under COVID, a whole bunch of people have the overnight sleep schedule thing anyway, where they'll be sleeping through the day. So there's stuff for them too. Yeah. I think as well, just I know I mentioned it before, but the big focus on Q&As with this also kind of differentiates it from the sort of stuff we're able to pull off offline and yeah i think we'll give it a bit of extra flavor i think we've got q a's on about 75 percent of our sessions it's only i think that's right yeah i think it's only four things we don't have q a's on which is yeah again i'm really stoked about because you know i don't think i've ever seen any festival yeah yeah. well we also we love these films and like love a lot of these filmmakers other films and it's kind of just really cool to be able to put together something and then also talk to people about it Mm. yeah so we have scheduled it a bit differently as well it's a bit more spaced out even though there's more sessions to kind of accommodate those q a's and make sure that we can do something a bit substantial um Part of that too of is, yeah in order to do that we're treating we've only taken two short films from our sydney showing but longer short films so a half hour film by Miriam uh, room of coconut Room of the Coconut yeah. View by Tula Pop, Sandra Rowan. And Which so will they, have a Q&A. Yeah. yeah, both of them are getting Q&As and their own slot as if they were a feature because we figure, hey, you know, we can yeah. do that. <laughs> and these these shorts deserve to be seen by more people. They're both yeah. fascinating uses of form. And um, you hardly ever get to do Q&As with short filmmakers. You get to do them with independent publications like 4.3 or Offcut or, you know, Movie Mezzanine, uh, Glenn your site you know you can you can talk to short filmmakers but junkie's not going to pay you to talk to a short filmmaker festivals generally aren't going to bring a short filmmaker up for an extended q a and it's really cool to be able to do that because there's a lot of filmmakers who only operate in the short form and make really really interesting stuff that's often much more worthy of conversation than a pretty generic first narrative film Mm -hmm. you know especially when you're talking about people that have made you know upwards of 20 or 30 experimental short films who kind of just never get contacted. So we're really stoked to do that. Um, initially, when we were planning the program, we were thinking about incorporating more shorts in sort of sessions like that. I mean, we're definitely not planning another online <laughs> festival for the foreseeable future, but I'm sure if we did... Okay to take a break. Would, yeah, absolutely. Or but I'm sure if we did... themed festival, right? No, this will be it. This is it. This yeah. is it. We're looking... The next plan is to do... Um, well, the timeline is now uh, thrown out the window. Well, we're going to do October. But, <laughs> we're going to do another right. festival in October in cinemas in both Sydney and Melbourne that was like Hyperlinks in February, uh, set to a theme. 
we've got the theme we don't have the festival title yet and we've got a few films already on the board which is great but yeah so that will kind of be pegged at when cinemas reopen because we definitely don't want to do that festival online we think it would benefit like particularly given the theme we benefit from people being in the space together Um, also when we say cinemas reopen we mean cinemas with full capacity reopen so um unfortunately because of the sort of way we operate and stuff that we go for we need to be able to put even yeah just at least 50 percent of the capacity in the Mm -hmm. screen um and you know need the occasional session over 50 percent to kind of cover the the film rights costs and higher costs elsewhere so also i think it's just kind of nice to not have to super social distance in a cinema i i know when we were doing hyperlinks offline and some of our other sessions at pink flamingos people would generally tend to congregate sort of around the same blocks of seats together and that's half of the appeal of the film festival like meeting people and and coming together to discuss something yeah yeah so while that's not possible in an offline sphere i think we'll probably be backing off offline screenings for a bit Mm. which is a shame because there's a lot of stuff that we can only do offline that we were basically at the last stage of booking right when this stuff kicked off right um a three-hour film from one of the Japanese greats, though I will not oh, mention the title of. Um, but that was yeah, yeah, incredible. yeah. That'll probably still happen, but it will happen in like. It'll happen, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Probably twenty twenty-one. We'll finally get to do that. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so, the, speaking of online, though, the whole Hyperlinks Festival takes on a different kind of flavor now that it is actually online in a period when everyone's been online all the time. Like, it mm. used to be the online comes to the physical space of the cinema, and now it's like people who've been staring at screens for months come to stare at a screen to watch yeah, movies right. about this new space we exist in, which is <laughs> yeah. all on screens, digital it's connections. A, it's not I, kitsch anymore. It's not, no. it's, it's not an aesthetic anymore. It's literally the oppressive reality we find ourselves in, um, which has meant, you know, like what are ways we can make it incredibly easy for people to engage with. Mm. So yep. The stream's going to be running on a separate website for as long as we need to with a chat box to the side. There's no, like, it's like as much as I would love people to actually look at our timetable and show up on set times, it's like it's designed so people can open up a web browser and jump in at any point. You might miss half the movie, but hey, that's that's life. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. And I, I mean, in terms of some of the stuff we've picked, there's a few. Well, I mean, you should always watch an entire movie where you can. But um, I think broadly our selection of films kind of allows itself a bit more to dropping in and dropping out. Um, so, some of that stuff will be a bit... Something like Idol. Yeah, yeah I, I, mean, I really Idol's enjoyed a great that. example. Yeah, I really yeah. enjoyed that at the Marrickville screening at Pink Flamingo yeah. earlier in the year, but it, that's totally just bliss out visual porn Com- completely you know, we, yeah we're doing four porn. hours of it now so we're doing in our Lawrence like yes. lock sign of futurism is an incredibly dense hour-long essay film that we expect very few people to maybe make it the whole way through i think it's very rewarding um but then the next film which was the precursor idol a short a 48 minute short called geomancer i think might be one of the best things in the festival we didn't screen it in high blanks because in february because we didn't have access to it at the time and idol had just kind of started doing the round so that's what we zeroed in on but geomancer if you liked idol geomancer mm. it's not a musical but it's like just superb it's same, this, same visual aesthetic exact same, same visual aesthetic it's about like structure. it's about yeah. a satellite a, a satellite that oversees the South China seas um, falling from the sky. And while it's like a downed satellite, 
decides to download collective data and history from Singapore and decides that it wants to become an artist and it floats through this 2065 Singapore talking about the notion of consciousness and art and what it means to copy and create. And it's so focused in a way that Idol probably isn't. Um, but part of the fun of Idol is that you're watching a machinima musical. So yeah. very excited for people to jump in and out and around of the Lawrence Leck marathon on um, Sunday morning. Sunday yeah, afternoon. I'm really yeah. keen. I did not expect yeah. to enjoy Idol as much going in thinking, oh yeah, it's a museum piece. But then it's such an interestingly dense cyberpunk story that it's telling in a weird way. Like it's something you don't see in the film medium ever, really. Yeah, completely. And yeah, I, I just think as well, the structure of most of our other films, again, if you, you can kind of dip into fighting in the age of loneliness, but you'll miss a lot of really important information about the history of MMA. Um, but e- even films like LAT Time and uh, Life Imitation. And, LAT um, Time, I feel, is so ambient that you could watch yeah, it at any, yeah. sort of come in at any point and not because the it, it's anti-narrative, right? Like the thrust Completely. of the narrative. Can't, that yeah. We're finding if Miranda July will meet with us or doesn't ultimately matter. So yeah, completely. And a a lot of it is sort of like, I don't know, stuff that maybe you stumble across on world movies, missing the first 20 minutes, work it out as you go along. And I I think again, the online space is sort of perfect for that sort of structure. Yeah. I think the one film that uh, we haven't discussed and I was keen to talk about was no data plan, which is weird, but also a good kind of weird. I mean, it's uh, merging a lot of those things. It's political, but not the usual kind of political that a lot of political films tend to be. Yeah, yeah so Micah Reverez's um, No Data Plan is, yeah, it's, it's, it's a documentary first-person account of what it's like to be an undocumented immigrant in the United States under Trump. And what it does and how it tells that story is through subtitles that are never matched with a voice. So it's shot on a train, mostly consumer-grade cameras, um, looking out of windows, and the subtitles or on-screen text that resemble subtitles tell you a story about family history, about paranoia, about trust. It is so captivating and strangely tense. Um, there is a yeah, there's a there's a reason for it to be tense late in the film, but you know, as you fall into the rhythms of it, it's. Yeah, a really unique film. We're very excited that we were able to secure it um, for Hyperlinks Online. Yeah, we tried to get it for offline and the timelines just didn't kind of work as well. So it's a nice little second life for a film that's maybe a bit too small for us to do as a monthly screening, but fits really perfectly in with the rest of the program. Um, I just want to also give a big shout out to Empty Metal, which is our opening night film. We've got two opening night films. We've got Tourism, which I'm not sure if uh, you guys saw, but I caught it. it yeah, it's yeah, a, yeah. it's a really nice little yeah. indie. I thought it's yeah. cool. Yeah, Daisuke Miyazaki's Tourism, which is about two Japanese sort of slacker best friends who win a trip anywhere in the world, can't figure out where they want to go, pick Singapore, and then just don't like it and have like a really <laughs> bad time and it's very funny it's very gentle has yeah a it's, sweet ending it's yeah it's not as uh, nihilistic or cynical as that description made it sound no, ultimately it's like they, they have a lightly it takes a while bad to get time there. Yeah. yeah yeah um but yeah i've got dasuke mizaki he's going to be joining us for q a um my nice. housemate uh is going to translate for us as well which will be great so that's going to be a live q a and then after that we've got girlfriend of the year set which we sick but finally that night empty metal and we're going to do something a little bit different for this as well um bailey and adam who directed the film are going to jump in the chat and hang out in the chat for the whole film answering questions and kind of like testing out a new way of engaging with sort of 
let's say live Q and A's on a film while it happens. But um, yeah, Empty Metal is a film that uh, Connor and me tried to get for Hyperlinks offline as our opening night film. Yeah. Um, we put in weeks of effort to get it, and unfortunately, could not could not get it done. Um, however, as circumstances have changed, we've finally managed to secure it. Even before Hyperlinks, we wanted to have it as one of our monthly screenings, one of our spotlight screenings. It was one of those rare films that both Felix and I watched and we both had the exact same reaction to it. You know, this sort of like, everyone needs to see this now. Yeah. It is such a bold, strange, unique political thriller. Um, like I've, I've described it to people as like, it's about like a punk band that gets Manchurian candidated through like, you know, like psychically, but to the left. Like okay. it's about essentially challenging um, people who consider themselves to be on the left but don't follow through on anything and then taking the notion of follow through to its absolute extreme. Yeah, and um, it's, a, it's a... Sounds very contemporary. Yeah. It's, it, well, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's a gripping thriller. It's a total capital A art house film. Like it's, it's a really, really weird project, totally unique, absolutely the sort of thing that everyone should be playing. There's some genuinely unsettling um, yeah. acts of violence. Yeah, totally. It's it's a really kind of crazy film, and I kind of I don't really want to spoil anything about it. I can't recommend it highly enough, though. That's going to be 10 p.m. on Friday night. Um, with sweet, yeah, live live Q and A chat. Uh, I think we might have them on afterwards for a chat uh, over Zoom or something as well. After that. But uh, yeah, super, super stoked to finally be getting Empty Metal out to Australia for its, you know, debut screening. And yeah, hopefully we can screen it again, honestly, uh, once it's all over. <laughs> I'm keen up. to hear what people think of it, like yeah. how an Australian audience will react to its notion. Well, especially now how an yeah. Australian audience will, will react to its versions of police brutality and its, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a whole commentary on that. This is a two year old film. It's a two year old film that felt incredibly relevant about a year and a half ago when we watched it, and feels even more relevant now. I think it's going to be one of those sort of sleeper cult hits. That the sort of films that uh, no one really sees at the time, and then in twenty years, people talk about it as this great cult masterpiece, but only within a very small fraction of the community who actually see it. Um, so yeah, super glad, super stoked to be sharing that one out as well. Um, Sweet. Yeah. Something I'm really keen to watch that's not new that uh, you're bringing into the the program is the human search. That sounds like something that's (laughs) really tailored for the concept of this festival. It's the most... uh... It's the film we have to be the most careful with um, because of its content. Um, but, yeah, The Human Surge is this sort of globe-spanning art house film, a series of vignettes. Eduardo Williams, the Argentinian filmmaker, is acclaimed internationally for his short film works. Um, and Trained under Miguel Gomez as well. And this, um, this film is no exception to that. It does feel, to some extent, like a series of connected shorts that pass between worlds um, that all have something to do with communication and community and how the internet can kind of not mediate that but how it can affect that we're very excited uh, as you would imagine to have that film um we also have eduardo yeah so yeah eduardo williams he's joining us for a q a which yeah that's that's one of those films that we would have loved to have presented as a monthly film if cinemas were still open and so the fact that we've been able to make it happen for hyperlinks and that it's such a neat thematic fit is yeah 
So saying that you have to be careful with the content, when are you programming it and how are you approaching that? Yeah, so that's going to be our uh, closing night film at 8.30. I think we're going to... So every 12 hours, we need to reset the stream just to platform limitation. And I think that we're going to reset the stream right before it and put an age gate on it. Just some explicit sex in it, basically. But uh, yeah, sort of, I think it's the only film in our entire program where we're going to age gate or do anything like that. We've tried to sort of pick something that's super accessible for all audiences. I think that the program concept kind of lent itself to that as well. In our offline version, it was just Searching Eva and Demon Lover, which had age restrictions on them so that's going to be the last film in the program i think the q a is going to be incredible we've got jeremy elfick hosting that q a who has been raving about human surge since Meccano, where, where it won the golden lion so but also like as um, you mentioned chris it is an older film and the yeah. reason that we're playing it is because it's only played queensland in australia it didn't play right. it didn't play sydney it didn't play anywhere which seems ridiculous Mm. Um, to us. How does it miss Miff? It sounds like a perfect Miff film. Yeah, like, completely. I don't know. You like that's. It, yeah. It's quite possible that there were like sales agent issues or yeah. something like that. Um, Shit happens. But I yeah. mean, I, I thought uh, I was looking through my emails last week and found one from um, 2017, and it was with Jeremy who's doing the Q and A, and he and I were talking at the Mardi Gras Film Festival that year in Sydney, and we were both trying to guess what they would have. And the two films that we really wanted them to have were The Human Surge and Life Imitation, neither of which they did, and both of which have found their way into hyperlinks online this weekend. So, you know, it's it's funny that these films that you think and talk about years ago suddenly crop up again with newly added resonance or in new and surprising ways. So we think that The Human Surge, like so many people haven't seen it in Australia, and I think it will surprise and excite a lot of people. Thanks yeah. for the opportunity. No, no worries. No worries. Came to, came to show it. <laughs> yeah. So it's happening this weekend and we're going to be tuning in. It's going to be a lot of fun and it's amazing that it's progress to the stage. And I know you guys are maybe taking a break and doing a different iteration following this, but we are keen to see what happens next and whether it be in a week, in a month, a year and the years from now. So guys, Felix Hubble, Connor Bateman, thank you so much for coming on and we'll see you on the weekend. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, if everyone wants to head to hyperlinks.online, uh, we'll have the links and video up there. Failing that, vimeo.com slash static vision. Uh, we'll have our streams in case anything goes wrong, but it won't because we're professionals. <laughs> we trust you. So we do. We're keen. Thanks for coming on. And this has been Glenn Falcons, Chris Evans, and Rotten Everyone Film Fight Club. Stay tuned for the Sonic Assassin. Have a wonderful night or day whenever you're listening as always. Enjoy movies and good night.